Good morning. We are talking with Nellie Neves, the author of over 30 sweet romance novels that are available on Amazon's KDP and their new Vela platform. Let's get to know Nellie a little bit, and then we're going to listen to the first chapter of her sweet, slow burn romance, Persuade Me. Good morning. We're talking with Nellie Neves today. Welcome, Nellie. Hey. Hey, um, I have seen that you have over 30 romance novels on Amazon. That number blew me away when I saw that. <laughs> it's uh, It actually blew me away too, because as I, as my count was 21. And then I went to like, see if my new book was linking up or not. And I was like, 30, like 32 books. Where did those come from? Like who published those? Um, but they're counting my Vela stories as well. And some of them overlap, but yeah, uh, it's been a, a fun journey over the past eight years. Yeah, that's incredible. Wow. And when you think about eight years, you've done over 30 books. That really is incredible. Yeah. <laughs> you must be an overachiever. Uh, yes. My husband teases me. My blood type is A plus, And he's like, that is who you are. You are an A plus student in all things. That's perfect. I love that. Um, let me, I'm going to introduce maybe just a few little facts about you uh, for okay. the listeners. And then you can like choose which ones you want to like delve into. You are the child of a biologist and that has given you a great love for nature and animals. I noticed you have a serious sibling rivalry suit going on with your sister. (laughs) (laughs) You took six years of French because she was calling you names in French. Mm -hmm. And then you became a writer on a dare from your sister. (laughs) That made me laugh. I also noticed you had, um, you have multiple sclerosis Mm-hmm. which you are an advocate for, for trying to bring knowledge about that and other autoimmune diseases to people, which is incredible. And I'm also was impressed because you are a mother, a, a wife, mother, and you are also a senior in college. <laughs> and I love yeah. that because, you know, a lot of times people don't think about, you know, going back to college, you know, once they hit like a certain age and you've got yeah. kids. Really, I thought you were very interesting. And I would love for you to maybe Tell us a little bit more about something. All right. Um, well, starting with the the college thing, I was going to school when before my daughter was born, <laughs> fourteen years ago, uh-huh. and um, I was trying to do it while still being a mom. And for me, mom was going to come first. And so um, she was born six weeks premature, and so we had some heavy stuff to deal with in the very beginning. She's great now, um, but in the beginning, it was a little bit heavy. And so she just needed all of my time and all my attention. Yeah. And um, all I wanted to be was a mom when I was growing up, besides a writer. I got through all of that. I was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis somewhere in the middle of it. And I was kind of looking at my life and being like, hmm, uh, this, this disease is like super heavy. And I'm looking like if, if it takes me tomorrow, what am I going to regret? And so at the time it was writing. And, um, and so I started, um, really delving into my writing and getting my writing going I just didn't want to live with any regrets, but I, I'd always planned to kind of keep it to myself. And then um, my sister, yes, my sister is the re- reason I have a career. Um, I had written something for Nano and and my sister, um, <laughs> she's great. Uh, she said that uh, it was really good. And she's like, you need to put this out there. And I was like, no, I'm not going to put this out there. Mm-hmm. And she was like, no, you need to. And, and she basically called me a chicken. And uh-huh. then she offered to edit the book for me. Um, to have it edited professionally. And she's like, we'll just put it out there. And she's like, you'll see, it's going to take off. And I was like, it's not going to take off. No one wants to read what I wrote. And so I was like, fine, you want to do it, we can do it. And so we we put it out there. And I couldn't believe how many copies sold the last the first day, I was just shocked completely. And it just kind of launched my career from there, 
moving forward, it was during the pandemic that I kind of um, reevaluated my life again, like, okay, so you've got this writing career under your belt, it's doing pretty well. But if this disease takes tomorrow, what, what are you going to regret? Uh-huh. And I was like, I'm going to regret not finishing my degree. And so I had already been through three colleges between all of our moves and uh-huh. my classes were all over the place and no one wanted to accept anything, but I found a program that would accept everything and that I could finish at. And so, yeah, I've spent the last two years, two and a half years, um, getting a degree in marriage and family studies um, and working towards my um, provisional um, certified family life educator uh, degree. And then from here, we're looking at master's degrees and um, and getting to uh, go on and be a marriage and family therapist. Wow, that's incredible. That's a lot of work. And to think that you're <laughs> writing and you are mo- you're a mom on top of this. I mean, just the amount yeah. of time. You, you must not have free time. I don't. I, yes. And I just jokingly say I don't sleep. Yeah. So... <laughs> but we know that's half true. <laughs> yes. I think that's just a requirement for being a writer Yeah, is that you just kind of give up on sleep for a while. Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes I'll wake up in the middle of the night and I'll be like, I'll be thinking about everything I need to write or I need to record or I need to like edit. And I'm like, okay, mm-hmm. I might as well get up because I'm just laying here and, and I'm not falling back to sleep. I might as well use the time wisely. So yeah, yeah I think that is sometimes just the way it is for us. Um, it is. I, I thoroughly believe that our brains work differently. I think people who are writers are just different. I think that a lot of times the real uh, diehard writers are the ones who are we're just made to do this. And mm-hmm. people often say, you know, you have so much going on. Why don't you just quit writing while you're in school right now? And I'm like, I can't. Mm-hmm. <laughs> or I mean, my husband will kick me out to um, go work because he's like, you're not pleasant. <laughs> Go find a fictional world and become pleasant again, please. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. Well, I think, gosh, and I, I did finish college, but I look back and I think my, my sister-in-law um, just got her nursing degree uh, mm-hmm. about a year or so ago. And that's, you know, that's a lot of work. And she um, had had a degree before. So she went back to college and she had two kids when she did that. And I just remember thinking, oh my gosh, that's got to be so hard because you do have a writing career. Mm-hmm. Um, to still want to get the more, like not just focus on your writing. I will tell you that that comes up in my brain every time I'm writing a paper at two o'clock in the morning. Yeah. I think, why am I doing this? But the honest truth is because I am really passionate about the health of families. Mm-hmm. Um, I love being able to work with families and with couples. Um, right now with my program, I've been able to teach parenting classes and marriage classes. And even in the the short nine week or four week period that I'm working with these families, I can see the difference in what they're learning and how it's applied to their families. And I watch their families become stronger. Mm-hmm. And I just think there's so much value in that. And so it makes me passionate to keep going. I have a deep love of psychology and um, it shows up in all of my books, especially mm-hmm. my most recent one. And so it just is something that's just deeply ingrained in me. And I I just thought, you know, I just need to do this. It's just something that I, I, it's it just within me again. It's kind of like the writing thing. It's something that's just within me and calling to me. Yeah. Well, that's incredible because I, I agree with you in that um, families are so important mm-hmm. and it's so critical. And that is something that can be really challenging um, because there's a lot of different stressors that yeah. go into having a family or having your kids, things life deals you that you right. have to adjust for. And so, I mean, I can understand it. I, I admire your passion for that. I can imagine it's rewarding to yeah. 
to see that benefit. Absolutely. And and what we're seeing too within the the field is that since there is somewhat of a breakdown with the family, a lot of the um, traditions that are passed on are not always healthy ones. And so yeah. whereas we used to have situations where, you know, grandma teaches mom, mom teaches child, and you learn, you know, this is how you deal with parenting. This is how you deal with maintaining a home. This is how you deal with uh, two parents working. And you have these traditions within the family. We just don't have that anymore. So being able to be in a position to teach people how to communicate properly, mm-hmm. how to problem solve, these things used to be passed down and used to be part of the culture. But these days it just gets lost. So mm-hmm. it's kind of like this intervention moment where you can come in and be like, hey, these are some skills that are going to help you. Mm-hmm. And then being able to watch people apply those skills is just it's awesome. Well, and you know, your idea where you just said about um, grandma teaches mom and then mom teaches a kid, mm-hmm. you know, and you mentioned how it's not always the healthy stuff that gets right. uh, passed down. And I think, gosh, you know, that is so true because I think sometimes a conflict happens when, you know, a, a husband and wife or, or two wives or, or whatever your relationships are, Right. you know, you come in with an idea of what your role is going to be. And that's sometimes that's based on what role your parent uh, played. And, you know, that also doesn't always um, go over too well because sometimes one person doesn't really want to do what the other person wants to do. Right. So, so trying to figure out how to be able to communicate that to each other and realize that you can break those chains or you can change the way things were passed down is amazing. And yeah, I look at that and this is, this is silly, but, but accurate at the same time, you know um, we know it's Thanksgiving, you know, then it's going to be Christmas, mm-hmm. you know, you have all the families together and, and, you know, you've got this really big meal that you're cooking and everything. <laughs> and you know, you know, who's in the kitchen. <laughs> right? I don't even have to say it. And you know, who's 90% in the of the time. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm 50. So that was just the way, you know, I grew up and right. what was expected. I mean, no one expects the men to get up off, you know, to leave the, <laughs> the dishes. It's the women who are going to do it. My, I totally get what them. you're saying though. My husband does not cook. Like when I went back to school, it's like, you have to learn some, there's going to be nights when I just can't and you've got to cook. And so he did have to learn like four new recipes that he can now cycle yeah. through, which is impressive. But I will say he's amazing at doing dishes. I yeah. have been very lucky there that he does dishes. Right. That is seeing that's a big help too. That's a job. Yeah. Help. What I'd much rather cook. <laughs> I would say the same thing. The cooking isn't the bad thing. It's the cleaning up and hundred <laughs> percent. Yeah. But I I I really admire your um striving and love to try to help others. That's incredible. Yeah. So you mentioned your first book and you said it had done really well. Mm-hmm. What, what was the name of your first book? And the first I, book is Night Watch. Uh, okay. It's the story of a, a woman who just went through this traumatic event. Her her father was murdered in front of her. Um, she was left for dead. And um, it opens with her going to a doctor's office who happens to be her ex-boyfriend. And uh, it's the only place she feels comfortable for dealing with this, this injury that she had. And he leaves the room to go get something. And she's kind of in this depressed state. And then the duct, the return duct above her starts rattling. And she's like, oh my gosh, this is how I die. And then um, this tall man falls out of the duct. And he's like, basically launches her into this world of espionage and spies. And she finds out her father was actually working with him all along. And she has to finish her dad's mission. And it's a whole thing. (laughs) That sounds really neat. That sounds cool. I thought you were going to say, oh, and he falls out. He falls out and 
and they fall in love. <laughs> Thank you. You fell out of the ceiling. Yes. <laughs> that's that's great. That sounds like a really good book. And I'm curious, how did you promote that book or what did you do to um, get it out there? Because I think that's one of the things authors struggle with the most is just getting their names and the titles of their books out there for people right. to even know exist. Yeah. When I first started, um, I was really lucky. And uh, my I all I did, because again, I thought no one was going to read it. All I did in the very beginning was post to Facebook, hey, I wrote a book and then left it there and like walked away. And then um, I came back the next day and all my friends had shared it like oh, crazy. Wow. Mm-hmm. And they had picked it up and they had read it. I guess none of them believed I could do it. <laughs> so they picked it up just to read it. And then they're like, oh my gosh. And so then they were just at word of mouth across social media. They just spread it really fast. I wish that happened every time I did a book. Like mm-hmm. that'd be super fun. It right. doesn't. <laughs> well, that's one of the things authors can struggle with too, is just maintaining the the readership, you know, absolutely. You know, people, cause there's time between when you publish a book and it's like off, uh, readers can go off and find someone else and then they don't always remember you. Yeah. So it really is a, a challenge. Um, yeah, it, it is. And it's, it's doing all the things that as a writer are not important to you. Um, maintaining the newsletter. I am the worst at that. I'm like, Oh, PS, <laughs> I have a book coming out next week. Hi. Um, it's it's maintaining social media. These days, it's making cute videos to put on social media. And I'm like, I don't have time to do this. I know. But um, it's just so many extra marketing. It's like a whole different animal that you have to be involved with if you're an independent author. Actually, these days, even traditional authors, yeah. honestly, have to put in so much of their own marketing. It used to be that if you just get published traditionally, you get to do um, you could, they will do it all for you. And that's just not true anymore. No, it isn't. It isn't true. Yeah. You know, I've talked to people who have been traditionally published and they're like, mm-hmm. I, I had to do most of my, uh, marketing, you know? Yeah. So or else you just get backlisted and, and then you're just lost. And so, I mean, that's one of the reasons that I really did cho- choose to go independent and to stay independent is because at least I have control over if I fail, it's on me that I failed. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. That is very true. And did Persuade Me, that's the one that just came out, right? On the 15th? Okay. Mm -hmm. So do you want to tell us a little bit about um, your book, Persuade Me? I would love to. Um, This one has been on my mind for about three years, maybe longer. Um, One of my goals with my career is to one day, once I'm a marriage and family therapist, is to work in... um, equine facilitated mental health. So what that basically means is using horses, which is a love of mine to, um, to facilitate therapy. And so I have it so that this woman Reese, uh, she has just bought this, this ranch property and that she wants to develop a program there, but they take time. Like it takes a lot of time to get a program like that off the, the ground. I worked in therapeutic writing for a lot of years as a volunteer coordinator. And the struggle that goes into maintaining a nonprofit like that is it's real. Um, and so I, I didn't want it to be like, oh yeah, she bought this property and it just launched. It's amazing. Cause that just wouldn't be reality, but she's a marriage and family therapist. She's working out of her home and she knows that in the future, she's going to run this, this ranch and she wants to do marriage um, retreats and all these things. And it's awesome. And so what the book opens with though, is that she's holding a card and she keeps getting these cards 
in her mailbox or on her windshield around the property that um, are threatening in nature. Well, somewhat threatening. Mm -hmm. All it says is I'll be watching. Yeah. Creepy. Yeah. Yeah. Just a little creepy. It's all block capital letters. It's, Mm -hmm. it's so ingrained into the paper that you can feel it on the other side. And so nothing though, that the police could be like, Oh, clearly that's a threat. It's like, right. It could just be a neighbor who's not happy that you're there. Yeah. And so, um, she's holding this card and it kind of feels, has that heavy respect suspense feeling. And then her assistant comes in and it's just day to day life. And that's kind of how the the book runs. It's a very different from how I normally write. It's a big risk for me to do it this way because I'm like, oh, I really hope that everyone likes this. Yeah. I I did a departure from from my normal uh, standard everything. Um, the other thing that's happening is she's trying to do an addition onto this ranch house that she's built. It's kind of run down. It's been abandoned for a lot of years, and so she has hired this old timer from town to come in and work on, and he's, you know, willing to do it cheap if he can keep his trailer on the property and, you know, she feeds him dinner sometimes. Mm -hmm. And so she goes out to check on JJ. And when she gets there, JJ's not there. JJ's hot nephew is there. Oh, she's like, what are you doing here? And he's like, well, uh, JJ won the lottery. And, uh, and she's like, I would have heard of that. And he's like, yeah. no, because it's just a little bit of money. But when you're that old, a little bit of money goes a long way. That's right. <laughs> he's like, I'm taking over the job for him. And so they, of course, don't hit it off right at first. And, mm-hmm. and that's Harlow. And, um, and Harlow is coming off of um, his own disappointments. He went off to make his way in the world and things didn't go quite the way he thought it would. He was always the golden boy. And all of a sudden, his Midas touch was gone. And so he's kind of in this moment of crisis and trying to figure his life out and figured he'd take over this, this slow moving job for his uncle and he'll sleep in the trailer that's there and eat the beans that his grand that his uncle left him and, and things like that. So um, it would be all well and good and slow, but then um, <laughs> Reese's assistant accidentally pushes through one of the marriage retreats early and they already have participants and with some pressure from investors on their their necks they decide let's push this through early so now they've got you know these threats from an outside source they've got the investors breathing down their necks and they're trying to run this marriage retreat with uh minimal ability because the the facility is still not up to par and so it pushes her and Harlow into a position where he needs to help her. And uh, there's a lot of persuade me, Reese. And so she has to keep um, persuading him to help her out. And they have this um, this different relationship than I normally write, where normally there's that immediate attraction and this um, really big connection. And there's usually some kissing early on. And for these two, it is slow burn, slow burn, mm-hmm. slow burn. But because of that, you feel this different kind of intimacy developing between the two of them Mm -hmm. because there is um, a lot more trust and a lot more respect. Um, They're both older characters than I normally write. I normally write in early twenties, mid twenties, and they're both more towards their late Mm thirties. And so I think when you get to that age, you're less likely to be like, let's go make out in a closet. And you're much more like, uh, let's make some good decisions here. I've been burned before. Let's make some good choices. Yeah. It's a different Um, perspective. Exactly. And and so you see that a lot more in this. And I I love it. It's a totally different feeling for me in the book because um, it's just so much less like 
angst and and all those kind of things it's much more yeah we may have feelings for each other but p.s someone's stalking you so we probably should figure that out first and there is this underlying mystery about the house and um, the couple who lived there before the entire town knew about it they were really um popular in the town and then one day they just vanished okay. and so there's all these rumors through the town but no one really wants to talk about it it's it's this really spooky we don't want to spread these rumors because it kind of feels it's one of those rumors that if you talk about it it's like it, it makes that that awful feeling on your skin you just just mm-hmm. feel gross and so um there's rumors that they had a child but then no one ever saw the child um, they don't know what happened with it. Uh, they don't know what happened to the house or whether or not they were killed or whether or not they left. They just vanished. And so there's all these underlying um, mysteries that are running underneath the surface. So it was really fun to write. It is a longer book. Um, I haven't written anything this long in a really long time, but my fans who love me, they um, say that when you read my books, uh, they run in a certain way and you think, oh, I know where this is going. Mm-hmm. And then they say there's something called the Nelly effect, mm-hmm. where it takes a severe like U-turn <laughs> into <laughs> side streets and then up a hill and down the other side. And like, I never saw that coming. Uh-huh. And so I'm hoping that's that's going to be their reaction this time because we took some sweet U-turns in this book. And and so it's it's going to be a, a fun one. Just when you think it's a lot like uh, Night Watch, mm-hmm. just when you think you know where we're going and who did it you're going to be like, what? So, yeah. Well, um, and that's always kind of fun because it's true. You know, when you read an author, you start to get to kind of understand what they're thinking and right. you know, where they're going and you're predicting right. what's going to happen. So it is fun to throw those uh, curveballs every once in a while, you know. Exactly, exactly. The so Nelly I difference. guess I was worried I might be getting predictable. And so this book is anything but predictable. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you. And I'm let the listeners know that I will read the first chapter of that um, book, Persuade Me, when we're finished with the interview. For, so make sure you stick around. And um, Nellie, is there anything else you wanted to, to let us know or where to find you on the internet? Or um, I am on Facebook and I'm on uh, Instagram. I will admit that I'm on Instagram a lot more than I'm on Facebook. Okay. Um, I update Facebook sometimes. I keep it around for events because I'll do really big events. We did a, a slumber party book party once, and that was really fun. Uh, we just did party games until the wee hours of the night. <laughs> it was a great time. Uh, so I keep it around mostly for that. But on Instagram, I'm on there quite frequently. Um, Fridays are Ask Me Anything. I have uh, readers, they're able to ask me a question and in one minute or less, let's be honest, it's more like 90 seconds or less. Um, I yeah. answer those questions. And, um, and so we do a lot of interacting there. And um, so you can find me there. You can find my books on Amazon. Apparently some of them are at Barnes and Nobles. I don't know when that happened. Wow. I didn't do it, but someone else did it. Um, <laughs> that must be part of Amazon's thing. Cause I think they do spread yes. out to a few places. I don't know. I'm like, okay, so I can say that now because I saw them recently. <laughs> and I was like, it's always fun when that happens. You can also, I have some books out in audio. I have um, pre-approved identity theft, uh, Christmas with Granny McPherson, and Caskets and Conspiracy are all out on audiobooks. You can find me on Audible and iTunes as well. Um, mostly I just, I love to write. If you enjoy sweet romance, uh, clean romance, clean mystery, but you still like the thrill and you still like to get the butterflies in your stomach and you'd like more than, you know, a handhold through the whole book. I'm your girl. 
Okay. <laughs> that sounds awesome. It sounds wonderful. It is nice to have a big range of heat on these romance novels yes. because some people are into something that they really want it spicy and others are like, eh, I don't need all that. <laughs> so yeah, exactly. It's exactly. nice to have um, different levels so that people can always find something that they like. Yeah. I love doing that. Awesome. Well, thank you. It was so nice uh, talking to you, Nellie. Absolutely. Thank you so much. I'm going to put your um, information up on my website. Then you can share that if you want and your followers can listen to our interview um, on my secret obsession. And well, thank you again for coming. Thanks for having me. Have a great day. I'll talk to you another time. All right. Bye-bye. Chapter 1. Reese. Words can't hurt. Only people cause wounds. There's no power in them without my permission. As I spin the card, I'm acutely aware of the pain shooting through my fingertips, but I try to ignore it and focus on completing the motion. It passes through my vision. Blank side. Block writing. Blank. Block. A delicate balance between security and danger. Between reality and denial. I let my eyes go hazy, as if it'll make the threat disappear if I can't see it. Oh, the foolish lies we tell ourselves when we want to pretend we're safe. I pause the motion and stare at the block writing. Someone chiseled each letter into the cardstock with lead, with force strong enough that it left the shapes of them on the other side. Upside down, it didn't look like a threat. Just a strange language no one understood. No need to fear. They can't hurt me. Not like sticks and stones. Words don't break bones. Isn't that the saying? The pressure shifts and the card flutters onto my desk. It lands face up, staring at me, perfectly legible, and for a second, impossible to ignore. My breath stills, and I stare. I'll be watching. It's as if the card has created a conduit that connects the author to me. I feel their eyes on me appraising, slithering, slimy and unhinged, my grip locked around the card, severing the connection between me and whatever cruel reality might await me in their hands. The wood grates the interior rails of my top drawer. I tuck it back in with the other notes I'd collected since moving in. Before the drawer shuts, I'm already rationalizing away any threat. Standing, I leave my office and move out to the front. I need to review my schedule notes from my client's last sessions, and try to get my mind back to reality as I know it. The screen door bangs behind my assistant, Delaney Price, and I barely smother my startled reflex. She strolls into the office, dressed as usual in a pencil skirt, thrift store rock t-shirt, and vintage converse. Red ones today to match the tongue on her Rolling Stones t-shirt. Is JJ here yet? I don't wait to let her set down her stuff. She frowns because we've talked about this. Me not letting her settle in before I ask questions. Something about me ambushing her like a mountain lion. I prefer to think of it as the early bird getting the worm. She keeps one eyebrow cocked to maintain her sarcastic reputation. Already hitting the coffee hard today, boss? She nods toward the half-empty pot. You know you get twitchy when you drink the whole thing before nine. I'm going to have to cut you off. Last week... Margot came out crying because you treated therapy more like an interrogation. I don't think we can afford to offer everyone half-price sessions for a month. My lips tighten, but not because she's wrong. 
Delaney is obnoxiously right 86% of the time, but I try to look stern because I think she forgets who the boss is around here. Not that it matters. I could never maintain this place without her. I've heard of therapists who run their offices alone, but I couldn't do it. She's the friendly face after a session goes south, my sarcastic comic relief when it all gets heavy, and I don't think I could manage my scheduling alone. She came to me as an intern, but she's become a part of my daily process. Besides, in my life, I need all the allies I can get. J.J., I cross my arms to drive the point home. Did you see him? Delaney drops her bags on the office table. Someone is making a whole lot of noise out there on the addition. I assume it's our local crypt keeper? He's in his 70s. He's hardly a crypt keeper. Fine. He's interning for the position. Practically a spring chicken. She returns my glare. Have you done your breathing exercises yet? You look like a guitar string being tuned by a toddler, ready to snap. The phone rings, saving her from my quick retort that wasn't coming. Triple H Ranch, how can I help you? I watch Delaney, waiting to see if I need to take the call. Oh, hi, Dr. Bradford. Let me see if she's available. Delaney puts the call on hold and turns her attention to me, smirk already in place because she knows what I'll say. I'm not here. I'm with a client. I sound more like I'm trying to evade tax collectors, not my mother. With a small shake of her head, Delaney takes the call off hold. Yeah, she's with a client. Delaney looks at me with that all-knowing glare while she speaks to my mother. Weird that I, her assistant, didn't know that, huh? She pulls a face at me, but I thank her anyway. I'll call later when I'm prepared to navigate all of Mom's emotional minefields. Yes, Delaney continues the call. I'll let her know you rang. Thank you, I tell Delaney as she hangs up the phone. It's too early for psychological warfare. The irony of that sentence coming from you, the therapist? Delaney sets up her things on her desk. Seriously, no more coffee, Reese. That woman senses fear, and if you jitter from a caffeine rush... She's got a pounce. She claws the air like a cheetah on the prowl. Again, she's right. As usual. 86% of the time. Delaney runs her finger down the schedule for the day. You've got 20 minutes. I've got you set up with Tito in Bay 6. Do some breathing exercises, please. If you explode, I'll have to clean it up and then find an actual job. And you pay me way too much for how little I do. I laugh because of course she's right, that I need to center myself. But I guess she's wrong, too, because Delaney holds this place together. I may have the degrees and the know-how to accomplish it all, but she keeps me sane, so I can do the same for everyone else. I'll be back in ten minutes. Have Mr. Beauregard wait in the solarium. Last week he found nineteen things wrong with my office. He mailed me a numbered list. And you think he'll be okay with all that sun? You know how he feels about the ozone layer. Draw the shades. I wave her off and head for the barn despite her valid concerns. My mind wanders to Mom as I walk in the brisk morning air. Like many people, my family is a strength and a stressor. Sometimes the second more than the first, especially when it comes to my questionable career path. Mom's words, not mine. I have a brother, three years older than me, and he ruined the curve right off the bat. I swear he picked his graduate courses when he was still in diapers. And worse yet, 
He wanted to follow Mom's footsteps and go into medicine. When I announced in high school I planned to go into psychology, my parents nearly withered in shame. Dad thought it was fake science, and Mom was determined that therapists only existed to make people hate their parents. I wanted to quip back that it only applied to bad parents, and if she wanted to escape that fate, perhaps she could adjust her behavior. But speaking freely was never an option in my house. I did apply myself, and I made it through undergrad and graduate school in good time. Not accelerated like my dear genius brother, Sam, but respectable and at the top of my class. Bless my family. They actually came to graduation. But Mom never took off her sunglasses for fear someone would recognize her. After moving, I spent years building up my clientele and learning under other therapists how I could help as a marriage and family therapist as I completed my licensing. Even without my family's emotional support, I loved my job. But I always felt like something was missing. Four years after graduation, I ran a red light in front of a cop. In my defense, my roommate had just gotten dumped by her fiancé, and I had the breakup ice cream in my car. It felt like an emergency. Plus, that yellow light was uncharacteristically fast, in my opinion. I tried to explain myself to the cop. That was a bust. I tried to excuse myself to the judge. Big mistake. I found myself not only with a decent fine, but 150 community service hours as well. Little did I know those hours would change the course of my life forever. Instead of picking up trash on the freeway, I volunteered with the therapeutic riding center where they taught horseback riding lessons to children and adults with disabilities. It wasn't long before I fell in love with the program. The work they did, the progress that was made, brought a richness to my life that I'd never felt before. I had a background in horses, so when a few of the staff suggested I look into an equine-facilitated mental health program, I was intrigued. Horses and therapy, two of my loves. As soon as I saw the program in action, I knew my purpose in life was to build my own center. A year ago, without asking for opinions, let alone permission, I sold my condo, gathered up every penny I had, picked a realtor by his picture, and bought a run-down ranch in the middle of nothing outside a town called West Wind. My parents reacted to the news as well as I expected. The equine half of the program is still a long way off, but I'm getting there. I have a traditional therapy clientele, and I know in my bones this is where I'm supposed to be. Stepping into the barn, I breathe in the morning air. Nothing like dust and dew and a little horse manure to go with it. A gentle knicker catches my attention. Tito, a bay gelding, pokes his head out of his stall. Delaney has started to require me to spend ten minutes each morning grooming one of the horses. It's my own equine therapy. With everything weighing on my shoulders and the overwhelming ambition to succeed at my life's dream, I get tied into impossible knots. Tito helps to reflect calm and pulls me back to a more rational mind. For my patient's sakes, I need that. I pull a soft brush from his bucket, step into Tito's stall, and start working on his shoulders. It's not long before my muscles relax and my mind clears of all the stresses that were bogging me down a few minutes ago. I lengthen the strokes, flicking loose hair off and admiring his coat that has grown in with a beautiful sheen. It wasn't long ago that Tito was in dire straits himself. His owners had moved and abandoned him at their property. The new owners didn't know what to do, and thankfully, someone thought to call me. 
He'd been left for a few months, but the neglect went back further than that. It's been a fair share of work to get to this point in our relationship. Petito trusts me, and I trust him. A buzzing saw lights up the morning air, crashing in on my peace. I glance at my watch. Only six minutes before I'm supposed to meet Mr. Beauregard. I'd like to check in on J.J., my handyman, first, but I'll have to make it quick. I pat Tito's shoulder to say thank you, replace the brush, and make my exit. I headed for the house. Ross Beauregard is one of my quirkier clients. I never know what I'm walking into, but since three other therapists have given up on him, I'm determined to do what it takes to help, even when his requests can get wild. J.J., I call out as I approach the exposed walls at the east end of the ranch house. A saw whirs again, high-pitched and obnoxious. Are you over there? Stupid question. It's easy enough to hear him working, but it feels polite to pretend I'm not sure. I just want a quick check-in to make sure our plans are still on schedule. My new life on my 45-acre ranch is not without the regular worries and sleepless nights that accompany any new business venture. For instance, the barn and ranch house are not quite livable yet. The 90-year-old ranch house isn't condemned by any means, but it also doesn't have more than two working bathrooms either. Electricity in all seven rooms would also be great. Working doors on the barn stalls would be an added bonus, not to mention all the rails and the outdoor arena being attached to the posts. I hired J.J. Hughes, an old-timer from town with the wherewithal to get it all done. He even gave me a great discount. His only requirement was keeping his trailer on the ranch property while he worked, and that I feed him dinner now and then. The deadline is kind of fluid, but his work is top-notch. It's going to be spectacular when construction is finished. Easy. Done. Everything checked off and accounted for, just as I like it. I have a place to live. I have a working office for my regular sessions, and eventually I will get the equine-assisted therapy off the ground, not to mention the intensive weekend marriage retreats that will bring in new clients and much-needed revenue. Money from investors allowed for an addition to be built for the far side. Guest rooms and bathrooms will be added and the beauty of the once-magnificent home will be restored. Now, all I have to do is wait. Unfortunately, waiting is not what I do best. J.J., my watch tells me I don't have time to hunt him down. I try one last time. Hey, it's Reese. Do you have a minute to talk? The saw stops. Footfalls move across the raised foundation, but when he steps into view... It's not J.J. Hughes's ancient physique that pauses in the rough framework of what will become the living room. Two large hands grip the wood beams, and he leans forward through the opening, reminiscent of a child on the playground. What can I do for you? I glance around him, searching for the man I hired, the man who did the last month's worth of work, albeit very slow work, but work just the same. Is J.J. here? The question feels more civil than demanding his identity. I thought J.J. worked alone, but maybe he's taken on an apprentice. A handsome, burly lumberjack of an apprentice. Maybe this rugged fellow is completing his internship before he goes off to build his own construction company. Do construction workers have internships? J.J. isn't here. I can't help but notice the way his eyes sweep over my frame. Not in a depraved way but more like he's trying to rectify his expectations of who he was anticipating with who I actually am. 
For a brief second, I worry I'm not living up to the hype. I catch myself quickly. What do I care what this random brawny intern thinks? Will he be in later? I don't mean to sound impatient, but I feel like I deserve some answers. My timeline needs to be updated according to our schedule and his progress. I finished the flyers for the camp yesterday. A three-day, all-inclusive weekend at the ranch with multiple group sessions, couple sessions, fun activities, and delicious food. At 2000 a couple, and slots for four couples, it'll do wonders for helping my investors see that I am not a liability. I am an asset, dang it. I know it's still too early for that dream. The rooms aren't ready. The bathrooms are missing showers. But it doesn't hurt to be ready when the time comes. I just need to know that J.J. has it all in hand to get us there. The handsome stranger frowns and shrugs. I really doubt it. Tomorrow, then? The day after tomorrow? I ask. By some miracle, he gets his broad shoulders through the framing and jumps down from the raised foundation. I take a step back feeling the slight intrusion of my space. But the lumberjack doesn't seem to give it much pause. J.J. won the lottery. He quit. My eyes bug out from shock. The lottery? Are you kidding? It seems like something I would have heard on the news, at least locally. One of his flannel-clad shoulders shrugs a bit as he rubs the thick facial hair that defines his jawline. He didn't win billions. He got a decent jackpot. About four hundred grand. At his age, it's enough for retirement. At least that's what he told me. I shake my head like it has some hopes of clearing the commotion away. I'm sorry. And you are? He extends one of those large hands in my direction. Harlow. Harlow Hughes. J.J.'s nephew. None of this makes sense. It can't make sense. It can't possibly make sense. My heart drops down to my stomach. So much is riding on getting this ranch ready. I've dumped everything I've got into Triple H Ranch. Every last penny, and then some. My parents were needed to secure the rest of my funding, and it was them who suggested we go with the private investors instead of a bank loan. I presented to the interested parties, but not many were sold on the idea. Thankfully, Dad plays golf with half of the people playing chess with my fate. I don't know how he did it but he somehow convinced them to take a chance on me. But it wasn't easy. The ground is tenuous at best. J.J. swore he could help me do this. But if I can't show progress, I know I'm going to run the risk of losing my investors moving forward. Why are you here, Harlow? I don't understand what's happening. Harlow drops his hand I forgot to shake to his side. I figured that was clear. I'm taking over for Uncle J.J., and no one thought to check with the client? The job is still in the family. Harlow's face twists like he's offended. I swear I'll work a heck of a lot faster than my uncle. I don't know if you noticed, but I am a bit younger than him. I don't think you'll be disappointed, miss. My lips pinch together, not enjoying his arrogant tone. I think that's up for me to decide, isn't it? Look. He raises both hands like I'm the one in the red. I needed some work, and my uncle wasn't looking to do this anymore. If you're not happy by the time your payment runs out, we can part ways. And if I want to part ways now? Harlow laughs once like I've lost my mind. Don't see why you'd do that. You paid someone for the work, and I'm willing to get it done. Last I heard, 
There's no huge rush. He nods his head over his shoulder. I'm going to take his trailer, too. You're living here? My voice tips up at the end, far shriller than it meant it to be. It's one thing for a 75-year-old senior to camp out, but sharing property with, I stop myself before I ruminate on his attractive nature again. It's different, that's all. It's different. Do we have a problem? Harlow folds his arms across his chest, only increasing the width. I didn't think you'd have such a tizzy fit over it. A tizzy fit? I cross my arms as well, but it has a much smaller impact. I paid someone to do a job, and now you're telling me that someone else is going to do the job. He puts up a finger. And by the way, I took a pay cut to do this. I can't believe J.J. was willing to work at this rate. I was letting him live on the property. I was going to make him dinner and do his laundry. We had a deal. Harlow laughs to himself. Didn't know J.J. had landed himself a sugar mama. What? You're basically dating my uncle. He pulls his head to the side. I can see why he might be into that. I wave my arm like I have a chance of disconnecting his stare from my figure like it's a loose spiderweb. Oh no, not even close. He needed help, and I was being a good person. And now, because I might need help, you're throwing me out on my... I just think, I interrupt him, to keep in control of the situation. A deal was made, and no one thought to involve me in the changes. That's all. Maybe he can keep us on schedule, but maybe he can't. Don't I deserve the right to make the decision since it's my future on the line here? Harlow clears his throat, shifting to his opposite leg as he considers his words. Reese, right? He doesn't wait for me to confirm it. You're new around West End, and that's great and all, but let me tell you how things work out here in the country. It's not like the city. We take care of each other. We watch out for each other. Family is king. And when someone is down on their luck, we don't take time to kick some dirt in their eyes to keep them there. He takes a step toward me, but I stand my ground, determined not to flinch. J.J. needed me, and I needed him. Simple as that. I notice for the first time that his eyes aren't blue like I thought, more like a slate gray, and ten times more piercing. You can toss me out, but I think you need me more than I need you. Am I right? I want to tell him where he can get off, but unfortunately, like Delaney, he's right. I can't afford anyone else. I can't stop construction at this point, and no matter what, I've got to get things done if I hope to make some money and keep the ranch afloat. But he better deliver on his end, if he knows what's good for him. Thankfully, Delaney's voice calls to me. Reese, Mr. Beauregard is here. Harlow's eyes shift from mine glancing in Delaney's direction before he takes a step back. Sounds like we both better get back to work. I want to fire back, but I don't have time to get into it with him. Without a word, I turn on my heel and leave the handsome handyman's side. I only glance back once and I curse myself when I do, because he's still watching me. Harlow, maybe Uncle J.J. should have led with the spicy spitfire when he convinced me to take the job for him. Even Papa Madge, she's not bad to look at. I might have to make her cranky every day if it means she'll stand around scolding me. I have to laugh at my own behavior. Nothing has changed since grade school. I was the kind of kid who liked pulling girls' braids to get their attention. 
and I still find myself doing it now. I wasn't lying. I did need the work when Uncle J.J. offered it to me. Add in a place to stay for free, and it's a decent deal. But the old man didn't mention that bit about dinner and laundry. I might need to cash in on those perks as well. Granted, Reese looks like she might make me dinner and throw it in my face. I run my hand over the three weeks' worth of scruff. It might catch food pretty well. Still feels like a valid life decision. I draw in a deep breath as I look around the work site. The old garrity place stands silent and empty, untouched for at least eight years, maybe longer. Getting to restore this homestead? It's an honor I may not be worthy of. I grew up watching folks have fancy parties out here, always the townie kid never getting involved. As the years passed, the abandoned house fell into disrepair, and I hoped someone would finally come along and restore it to its former glory. I never dreamed I'd be that guy. Granted, I'm not telling Reese that. Sounds like a good way to talk myself out of a dinner invite. I don't know if she cooks very well, but it's got to be better than the canned beans I found the trailer stocked with. And laundry. I hadn't even thought about that. I figured I'd take it home to Mom's once a week. She's so happy I finally moved nearby again. I gotta figure she might even do it for me. Life derails quickly sometimes. I thought I had it made. I've never had to work it much in my life. A naturally lucky and charming kind of guy. Things always seem to line up for me. But this time, they lined up like bowling pins. And when the board read strike, it wasn't a good thing. I don't want everyone around these parts knowing how badly I failed. Uncle J.J. was right. This is a respectable job to get under my belt to gain my confidence back. The lack of a deadline appealed to me since my work ethic isn't always the best. Either way, my parents think I've landed something great, and that's what matters right now. It feels good to be back to what I'm good at, even if the lady of the house isn't keen on me being here. Fine by me. I'm not sure I'm keen on being here either. Reese My session with Mr. Beauregard went about as well as I could have hoped, with acute anxiety, deep bouts of depression, and a history of being hurt by women who used him. I know we've got a lot of work to do, if not for his deep fear of animals. I feel like he would be a great client for the equine therapy program once I have it up and running, but I worry he might not handle even Mouse, my miniature pony. Delaney haunts my doorway like she wants something, so I ask, Who's next? Markham's at two and then Lonnie at four. It's a simple day. I place papers in piles, always wanting my desk clear so it won't clutter my mind. Now and then, I hear a power tool rattling the house from a distance. I try to put the attractive contractor out of my mind. I've never had much luck with men. Not that I've tried much. Between extensive school and career obligations, and my parents' horrible examples of marital bliss turned bitter divorces, one through three, I've seen education and work as a more viable path toward happiness. A fact my parents have brought up at the last three family gatherings. After all, if Sam can get a PhD and get married, why can't I? Boss, you told me to tell you if there's another one. Delaney steps away from the doorway, hesitantly walking towards my desk, envelope in hand. By the writing alone, I know why her face looks apologetic. I reach out, and she obediently sets it in my hand, but not without some hesitation on her part. That makes five, Reese. What are you going to do? 
I swapped the envelope back and forth between my hands. I'll add it to the pile with the other ones. The sheriff agreed to come out tomorrow. Delaney moves like she might leave, but catches the inside of her lip and pauses. What does this one say? I shake my head and pull the top drawer to my desk open. It's best not to know. I'll let the sheriff read it. I'd hate to contaminate it. Delaney starts to speak again, but I'm not in the mood for small talk. Can you get my mother on the line? I feel ready to talk now. About this? Heavens no. But maybe I can dwell on her issues for a minute or two and forget mine. I give her a tight smile. The kind Delaney recognizes as me not wanting to take things further. She backs out and pulls the door closed behind her. I'm right. I know I am. I shouldn't release the seal on the envelope. I shouldn't look inside. It's not like I'll be in J.J.'s boat. No one is trying to notify me of lottery winnings. Though, having a stalker is pretty rare. Maybe I won a lottery no one wanted to win. Using the edge of my shirt, I retrieve the envelope and slice the top with my silver letter opener. I keep my fingers covered and pull the note card free. My eyes sweep over the message, but I'm quick to shove it back into the envelope and then into the drawer. I was right. I didn't need to know. But whether I like it or not, even when I close my eyes, I still see the words scrawled over the white cardstock. You whisper secrets in your sleep. Thank you again to Nellie for meeting with us. You can find Nellie's website at www.nelliekneevesauthor.com. She's on Instagram, Nellie K. Neves Author, and Twitter at Nellie Katie. To keep up with various novels and authors that we feature, you can follow my secret obsession on Facebook, Instagram, and X at Cherish Lively, or visit the website at tinyurl.com slash Cherish Lively. Bye.